0: Hello from Delinea and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the 401 Access Denied Podcast, then make sure to like, follow and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or a review on your platform of choice, or by emailing us at podcast at From all of us at Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the 401 Access Denied podcast, uh, brought to you by Delinea and I'm the host of the episode, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO. And it's great to be here with you today. We have an exciting topic and a very important topic for many organizations. And I'm welcomed by an awesome guest, uh, Dara Gibson. Welcome to the show. Um, If you can give the audience a little bit of background to who you are, what you do and uh, some fun things about yourself.
0: Absolutely. So thank you so much. I'm joining actually from Phoenix, Arizona, where it's still 115 (laughs) degrees out, even though it's October, right? It's an incredibly warm summer, but we make it through and each year we always threaten to move, but I have been in cybersecurity a little over five years, and I found my niche of cybersecurity insurance. And my point in doing that was to really align with the expectations of incident response. And through that, I had to learn the language of cyber insurance and understand a claim and a regulatory and a claim, you know, adjuster and how that fits in with the incident response. And through that, I became a certified cyber insurance specialist and now um, uh, working on my um, certifications in Arizona to make sure that I can speak more towards the language of, you know, insurance as a whole and um, really learning as I go. And I've joined Optive about a year ago to um, really launch our insurability mm-hmm. services program and move that forward to work to the best capabilities of our clients and help them navigate the programs of insurance.
1: Fantastic. Well, welcome to the show, and I think this is a really important topic for today. So, you know, um, cyber insurance is something that many organizations have realized that it's it's a must-have. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. almost you know it's almost as mandatory as you need car insurance. You know, uh, when when bad things happen, you need to be able to have the money to recover and continue your business. And you know, the realization that you know when cyber attacks do happen, they are very costly and very impactful to the business. And the last thing organizations want to be doing is taking away from the business revenue in order to keep the business going, uh, because sometimes that's their, you know, the, the, the revenue they have for, to grow, to, to operate, uh, to continue providing services. So something become very important. What have you seen for organizations? You know, what, what, what's the motives that organizations have uh, for obtaining cyber insurance that you've seen?
0: Well, um, actually, COVID—the when everybody made that transition to work from home, then the insurance companies had to really transition their expectations. So, a lot of people at you know back five years ago were like, "Oh, I have insurance, I'm good," or "I have cyber controls, I'm good. I don't need both." Whereas, because of COVID, that particular incident in time in history that changed the industry overall and changed the cybersecurity industry overall. And people now began to see the fact that it wasn't an either or situation anymore. Mm -hmm. It really is a combination of the two, building insurance into your risk management program and building controls into your risk management program. That's where the benefit actually truly came because people can truly really withstand that event Mm -hmm. a lot more securely now because of the fact they've put those um, cyber measures into place. And they've also put the cyber insurance into place. So that financial risk, as well as the mitigation of the Mm -hmm. security risks have been, you know, diffused a little bit.
1: Absolutely. I think for many, they realize that, you know, Organizations who've had cyber incidents, and um, especially you know with a, a lot of the increase in ransomware over the you know recent years as well, in conjunction with people working from from you know from home and remotely, that increased those risks and the exposure that organizations had from ransomware, and as a result, organizations have realized that when those do happen, it is very costly. It's very expensive. Um, incidents are not cheap, and when they do occur, uh, they dig into a lot of the the company's profits and and, and money, and they realize that they need to have that offset of, you know, financial safety net for say, you know, Mm -hmm. that ability to make sure you've got some funds that you can dig into. Um, Many years ago, you know, this was, you know, it wasn't something that organizations struggled with cyber insurance because years ago, it didn't cover the, let's say, uh, the tangible value of data. It was very much, you know, tied to the assets themselves. Um, right. And that has definitely yeah, changed. I mean, and be, uh, even be,
0: dating back to the 90s, that's where, mm-hmm. you know, the concept of data insurance came into play because you were protecting credit card information yep. and making sure that that financial transfer was taken care of back in the 90s. It wasn't until the you know late 20 teens that mm-hmm. the insurance company was like, oh, we now have to start you know, financing these back end destructions of systems and networks mm-hmm. and laptops and that as such the actual physical property, right? And that's Absolutely. where that change of the insurance policy came from just a liability to now an overall program of, you know, financial transfer across the board. So it's no longer, it's, it takes into account the first party and the third party across the you know, to make sure that everybody is protected in when that time comes. Mm -hmm. And they're also insurance companies are also now providing a lot of proactive measures. So they're not just playing whack-a-mole at the end anymore. They're really providing additional services Mm -hmm. and reaching out to vendors to say, Hey, you know what? Delinea has great programs. Optiv has great programs. Mm -hmm. Let's work together with these vendors to make sure you're protected in the first place and you know, down the line, you're also able to follow through with um, incident response services.
1: Absolutely, I think one of the biggest areas that I've seen a lot of insurers vendors go down the path is that they've been involving, and even some have acquired uh, incident response services. So they're actually really getting more hands-on into the incident response side of things. And what they're realizing, I think, in the past couple of years, what's happened is is that as insurers. Dove into this. You know, previously it was being covered, as you mentioned, things like property insurance was was covering those physical assets, and now they realize they need to go beyond that. Um, mm-hmm. But they jump they jump straight in, not realizing the frequency of the, the 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 risk, not realizing the financial impact of the risk, and they got exposed significantly financially. A lot of insurers kind of were struggling, kind of how they can make money out of this. But I think over the last even the last year or two, I've seen a lot of maturity. They started to really understand. They started getting more hands-on involved in its response and working closely with those uh, vendors and companies for, who provide those services. And they started realizing what things can actually prevent. <laughs> what 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 if something was in place? What would have stopped the attack from happening? And that's what they're starting to. Require. Well, we can't starting... say
0: would stop the attack. <laughs> would help it, mitigate it would make or it, soften or
1: <laughs> make it more make it more difficult for it to right. happen, or more costly for the attacker. Um, so uh, or more noisy mm-hmm. but it would definitely you know make sure that it was it is not as easy or it would you know to, to reduce that risk so
0: and sometimes it's simple as cybersecurity awareness training <laughs> teaching your people not to click on that shiny object yeah. and i know or a it strong, sounds a strong password
1: simplistic. <laughs> sometimes yeah, you, right? using unique passwords across multiple accounts um, sometimes oh, it's those you mean simple I can't things i use
0: password <laughs> 123 across all of my accounts
1: oh huh. that's to hear clients uh, still
0: say that is 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 perplexing.
1: <laughs> yes, and sometimes even when you get into the password policies, uh, you know some still have you know six eight characters in length. Even eight characters, are, they're thinking it's you know that was the recommendation. What you think about? Yeah, yeah that was a recommendation ten plus years ago. We've, <laughs> we've come a long way since then, um, <laughs> you know. And I even get into you know sometimes you want to get to sixteen characters and you want to get into passphrases. You want to change. And to your point, is a lot of that can be done through cyber awareness training into and 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 conjo- conjoining that with good policy and practice as well. Um, you know, combining those efforts uh, into uh, kind of so you're actually making sure that you're not only educating, but you're putting the controls in place to make sure that it's happening, and you can measure it as well. Well, um, and
0: practicing practicing absolutely. your incident response plan, having the people practice and you know understand how that process works, who to call. What, you know, what is the insurance hotline? Hmm. What is the vendor's hotline? What, how do we start a response should the need arise? Really understanding that it takes the people practicing these pro- policies and procedures yep. to truly understand how to Im- impact um, the and lesser, make a less of the severe severity of the incident as a whole.
1: Absolutely. Because when you do need to act, you, you know, it, let's say an incident does occur, you need to act with speed um mm-hmm. that's one of the most important things the quicker you re- respond uh sometimes the, you know the significant uh, impact you reduce so the even and that all results in costs you know yeah. the quicker you respond the quicker you get you know uh, mitigate the quicker you eradicate the attackers um you get back to operation that all has a massive cost and and time uh can make a huge difference sometimes i've even seen it you know making a difference of hundreds of thousands of dollars and even millions um mm-hmm. the quicker you respond and this gets really important is that when you do sign up with insurance policy, a lot of those policies do determine, you know, wh- one is how you respond to incidents, mm-hmm. um, uh, which vendors, you know, might be certified as incident responders. So you want to make sure that um, you have, a, you know, if, if the insurance policy says here's vendor A, B, and C that you're allowed to work with, you want to make sure you've got a relationship. You, you don't want to be the first time you're calling them is when an incident occurs. You want to actually, to your point, simulate it, practice it. Know what things they they will expect from you. Um, what, what areas do you can kind of recommend the audience, you know, if you do get into the situation where the policy, you know, the insurance policy is saying, here's the vendors, um, what would you suggest, you know, some of the, the preparation they get prepared for?
0: Well, and also understanding that you may have already built a relationship with a, a vendor mm-hmm. that may not be on that incident response panel. Talk to your insurance company. Talk to your broker. Mm-hmm. Talk to your, you know, the carrier as a whole They may, that company may already have insurance rates already pre approved. Mm -hmm. They, they, so they may not be on the vendor panel, but they are already approved to be the vendor responder. Mm -hmm. And that gives the, the ability to utilize somebody that you already know and trust. And, can utilize, and you can use them in your incident response. They may not be able to do the forensic side of the house because you mm-hmm. always want that third party uh, agnostic viewpoint of the mm-hmm. forensics, but you can have somebody do your remediation and restoration based on your, ex, your trust of your relationship mm-hmm. that you've built. Again, this goes back to communication. Coach K, um, the basketball coach in the US said, you know, communication is key. And understanding that is across the board, no matter what Sport, industry, business, it's communication and talking to your insurance carrier, talking to your breach mm-hmm. coach, talking to your own internal stakeholders. That's where this comes into play and understanding how you work together and communicate mm-hmm. these processes um, is the first step.
1: Yeah. And it was an interesting thing is, you know, there's been a lot of chatter in the last year um, around, you know, when an answer doesn't care a lot of sometimes compliance will determine, you know, such as I'm based in, in, in EU, compliance will say, you need to follow GDPR. Therefore, you need to notify Data Protection Authority within X amount of time, 72 hours. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing insurance policies were saying, before you actually do anything, you need to contact the insurer before you do anything else. And I've so had numerous conversations with different insurers about this you know, particular clause that they're adding in, in the policies. And it was really interesting that they were coming back and saying, actually, what that really does mean, because because there's a lot of confusion in the industry, because at your mm-hmm. point, the terminology sometimes is very different when we talk about in security world and the terminology in the insurance world are not the same.
0: And oh, that's yeah. one thing
1: I will say is make sure you're on the same page of when you do sign a contract or you do get an insurance policy. Make sure you're on the same page about what the terminology means, because sometimes we might be talking about two different things. And this specific area uh, in the response, you know, who, who to report it to first. So the insurer did say, so when when they shared with me some of the process, they said that actually what they mean by that is that if you incur costs before you contact insurer, that cost that you incur beforehand may not be covered. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're getting into the point is that they want to make sure that you know they're involved. And when you make the claim, it's anything after the claim that's covered. So and, and some things might be covered before, depending on basically how they define that policy. But it, it's not to say that you won't get covered. It's to say that. They want to make sure that any cost that, you know, is covered is, is part of the claim process itself. So that's one thing that they did clarify. Another, they all, inter- And
0: they also have relationships with the outside vendors. So mm-hmm. you may have paid X dollars and they've already built a relationship for Y dollars. So it's, it's that slight difference that they're like, well, we could have covered this, but we can't cover that. So Correct. that's where understanding the terminologies and what's actually documented is, yeah. is critical
1: and even some of the policies, even there was even the discussion online, the social in the past year around uh, it was interesting because some companies who went down the path and they got they got uh, insurance and in the insurance policy they specifically focus around data recovery and remediation, mm-hmm. and uh, what they started realizing was that in the IT and security world, data recovery and remediation insurance poli- insurance policy, their understanding of it means that it's actually restoring data, in the insurance mm-hmm. world. Um, it could also mean paying the ransom. (laughs) So there was this, there was separate understanding about what data recovery meant. Um, And some
0: people will have a ransom portion of their policy. Correct. And they've completely segregated that out out of their, you know, data recovery part.
1: Correct. And as it gets into, is really making sure, and and the point of that uh, specific clause is to make sure that you're on the same page as the insurer when you're talking about what data recovery means. So Mm -hmm. getting into the fine print, getting into the details um, and this brings me to the next question I've got for you: Is around... well? Hold
0: on, before you go into Absolutely. that next point, is make sure that when you're talking on those communications, that you're including <laughs> your legal provider, you're Absolutely. including your insurance provider, you're including your vendor, so everybody is understanding the different terminologies and where each point lands. Absolutely, so- because
1: they come from very different viewpoints into mm-hmm. you know what uh, what security is, and uh, they come yeah. from a very much a traditional insurance background. Um, Mm -hmm. Now they're bringing a lot of security experts in-house as well uh, to really help with the terminology also uh, and make Mm -hmm. sure that it is aligned. Um, And this brings to another major topic was around exclusions, uh, which has been getting a bit, you know, over the year they've had the standard exclusions in place. Uh, My background, my first introduction into cyber insurance was in the maritime industry, ironically. And it was Mm -hmm. uh, my, my kind of time and that goes back into the early 2000s. So when, 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 let's say one one ransom what meant that it was a pirate uh, attacking a vessel and and that vessel had uh, you know uh, been attacked and therefore a lot of it was of course the 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 shipment the containers it was, that ship was uh, carrying but as my introduction into what insurance meant and in a lot of those piracy claims, it was this exclusion of terrorism and act of war and stuff like that. And we're starting to see those types of, you know, they've been standard in insurance policies for oh, years. For
0: centuries, yeah.
1: Absolutely, for a long, long time. Um, but now, they've, of course, they've been added into the cyber insurance policies quite frequently. And we're starting to see how that's playing out. And there's been some massive cases uh, over the years. and I think the one that was notable early this year was the uh, Merck case with NotPetya. Um, mm-hmm. And that made pretty big headlines because it did mean that, you know, uh, in that case, the way that the Supreme Court actually viewed it was that Merck was not a legitimate, you know, military target. So, therefore, right. an act of war clause in an insurance policy would not be justified. Um, and it set up the two camps, those two two camps that went separate directions in this, which meant that companies. <laughs> so, the insurance are thinking about, well, okay, okay, any company we've insured that is not a military government legitimate target that puts that clause at risk that they may not have had the, the 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 way out that they may have assumed because and to be honest in almost all cyber attacks we can have some type of attribution back to nation state <laughs> which is which is unfortunate you know uh, whether or not those criminals are acting as mercenaries or, or organized criminals or nation state backed in a lot of cases you point it to government or nation state. Because of location, geographical attribution, or they previously did work. uh, Or sometimes they work on behalf of, and sometimes they do their own thing. Uh, So it's always very, attribution is always very difficult. Uh, But then you got the other side of the camp, which is that these organizations who also have parts of their business as those military and government contracts. And now the clauses they're thinking about, well, okay, those clauses will apply. Um, and they're starting to think about it. so what what what's your view around the exclusions and what what other types of exclusions have you seen been put in policies
0: when I've seen some of the exclusions be actually worded it hmm. it i my understanding is sometimes it has to actually be declared act of war. And then mm-hmm. the policy still covers it because war has not been declared in that particular situation. So mm-hmm. that way the policy still is upholding and has to honor it. and that that's what happened in Merck as well because that client was not an act of war, right? Yeah. And therefore that's where that's where that transpired. Um, some of the other exclusions I'm seeing, they're they're fixing by putting mm-hmm. new portions into their policy. So mm-hmm. one part of the policy may exclude ransomware and ransom payments. <laughs> But they've added in, uh, you know, in uh, a par- portion of the policy and saying, well, now we'll cover it because you bought this part of the policy. Yes. so it's just again, it's truly understanding what the policy is stating and where where it actually is covered, because you want to you want to under- make sure that you're not making that assumption. Oh, I'm totally covered. And then you're like, well. I wasn't covered at all. (laughs) Especially
1: when coming on the renewals because it used to be you get this one master policy that tended to cover everything. But now I've seen insurers have thousands of policies that get separated out into these very (laughs) micro policies for very specific things. Uh, So to your point, you you might get data recovery. Then you might get instant response. You might get, Mm -hmm. uh, let's say, uh, security awareness. Uh, You might get um, other types of even controls in place. You might... You get um, the ransomer payment, and where it used to be in the past, it used to be uh, unlimited. It was, right. which was quite scary. Or you have un- a
0: limit; you're only allowed to use so much of that po- part of your policy. So yep. a sub limit in that category, I guess, I sh- would be a more appropriate yeah. term. And then there's
1: also the deductibles as well. You know, mm-hmm. you might have to to have some upfront payment uh, or cover. Mm-hmm. You know, that you have to cover yourself. So it's quite interesting. So, you know, to your point, absolutely, the policies are getting so very, very specific that as you're going through a renewal, you might want to make sure that you understand does the policy still cover what you assume that you might Mm -hmm. be getting in the past?
0: And again, that's that's including all of your stakeholders, your legal provider, your insurance yep. carrier, your cyber vendor, p- because you want to make sure that all of those people are a part of the conversation. And you also want your internal stakeholders involved. That hmm. means including your HR department. That means including your privacy department. And yep. that means including, you know, the other the it and the technical people of your of your internal team as well because there's a lot of those um minute questions that you mm-hmm. may not be able to answer but that other person can and the and the data privacy c- component is critical yeah. because 2024 they're finally mm-hmm. saying oh well now we need to actually abide by these data compliances that are mm-hmm. being set up gdpr was like the the you know the first. <laughs> Bird first, right? But now we've got a lot of 50 states of in the U.S., and we're aiming for 50 different. Cyber po- uh, privacy policies. All, all different, which is, I,
1: I, I wish it was more on a federal level, to be honest, because it was just one so for does everything. everybody else, um, right? Because otherwise, you're, you're just creating so much extra work. And that's why GDPR came around. I, I was one of the technical reviewers in GDPR, so I reviewed all of the early versions. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And then give the feedback into is this technically possible? Which, yes. So that's what you get into. I wish I could go back and change a few things, honestly, but, um, but it, it was a great foundation. And then of Mm -hmm. course your point is like other governments have taken the same step, you know, in in Mm -hmm. the U S it's the States have taken the same step. Um, and what I've, I have found though, is that, you know, a lot of these cyber insurance policies do kind of overlap with a lot of compliance and regulations as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think what, one thing I do find is that if organizations do have some compliance that they had to meet, whether it being a PCI compliance for financial institution Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, HIPAA for medical or SOC, uh, compliance, um, or even ISO and NIST framework, I do find there's a lot of overlap. Do you find do, do you find any specific ones that might help more? Or you know, if you do find organizations already compliant with some regulation, that it does help them accelerate the you know, the ability to obtain cyber insurance.
0: Um, yes. In the unusual aspect of insurance mapped their own expectations. So some insurance carriers pulled CIS, some pulled mm-hmm. NIST, some pulled yep. CMMC. And as you said, there's so many different frameworks, but you will notice, as you said, that if you've completed a SOC 2 exam or you you really are compliant with PCI a lot of the end times you can answer your questionnaires and be like, oh yeah we have that in place. Mm-hmm. oh yeah, we've practiced our tabletop exercise for yeah. our incident response. Oh yeah, we've protected our you know data from that component mm-hmm. of it and so that's where the overlap does really uh, positively impact mm-hmm. your insurance because you can you can uh, answer those questionnaires a lot more significantly um, mm-hmm. with ease and efficiency. And that's where that co- that allows you to have that flexibility to say, yeah, we've answered that. Um, mm. it, it, a lot of times, though, the insurance industry has all of their own <laughs> expectations and their own wording of, well, this company just wants MFA. This company <laughs> wants MFA on the... Admin rights. This mm-hmm. company wants it on the overall. This company wants it. So really, creating co- cohesive structure in the indus- industry as mm-hmm. a whole, which is why PCI came, which is why yep. HIPAA came, because they wanted to create that overlying umbrella of you know cohesive. Comprehension. And I think we, in the next few years, we'll see that with the insurance industry mm-hmm. as well, because there are so many frameworks and controls that you can put in place. And just because one person names it one thing, and, you know, with the fancy acronyms that everybody yeah. likes to appreciate, right, they, they all can have the same broad understanding. I think that would meaning. be great,
1: actually, to come, you know, to have a con- consolidated insurance industry framework mm-hmm. that basically means that, you know, and it also means it makes it easy transferable. Maybe one year I decide to change insurers, um, and therefore I don't need to go through the same process again um, to obtain it. I've already, you know, went through it once. Why do I do, mm-hmm. it, do it again? Because, and it means it's transferable, and that makes it, you know, much more standardized. I think that'll be a great approach to have a, you know, a cyber insurance framework um, that allows you at least understand about you that, that you can prefer, prepare for as well. So you're not actually having to find out the first time when you do contact and and try to obtain insurance that you already you know can have some type of framework that you can actually already check beforehand. And then you can choose which insurer to go to which insurer company. (laughs) Yeah. So so well, absolutely, that makes look a little sense. The auto
0: industry, yeah. the auto industry says you have to have airbags, you have to yep. have seatbelts, you have to have brakes in your car, right? And then so now we're in the same situation with the the cyber insurance industry saying, you know, you've got oh. to have these controls in place. It creates a better security framework.
1: Absolutely, you know, rather than one insurer saying you need brakes but you don't need an airbag, and another insurer saying you know you need a, a an airbag but you don't need the seatbelt, so um, a standardization does help, and it means that you know, expectations are a lot more mm-hmm. easier to follow. Um, what types of what types of security controls are being required? Like you know, what solutions you mentioned MFA? Um, uh, what other types of things are you seeing insurers uh, require in order to become insurable?
0: detection and response, really understanding that your endpoint agents or your Mm -hmm. network agents have that detection and response capabilities. And sometimes it's easy enough just to have have it managed by an outside Mm -hmm. vendor because now you're completely covered 365. Mm -hmm. Some businesses, you know, you're still going to close at five o'clock and your security (laughs) guy may leave at five o'clock. Well, after at 6 p.m., the threat actor knows that Fred went home. And so you Mm -hmm. having that Overall, 24-7 capability of detection yep. and response is crucial. Absolutely. Um, cybersecurity awareness training. I've seen on multiple insurance mm-hmm. carriers. Uh, that's one of the key elements. Um, One, as I mentioned, one coming up is privacy for 2024 Mm -hmm. because a lot of lawsuits came into play and it wasn't the ransomware, or the business email compromise this year. It was the lawsuits from the privacy regulations. Mm -hmm. And so insurance is now responding and saying we need to be better at privacy compliance Mm -hmm. to make sure that that's also covered in the insurance policy as well. So, I mean, uh, there's so many, so many aspects of it. um, MFA. Privilege access management. Privilege access.
1: I've seen. I've seen about. uh, It's like you know, the more mature policies. I've seen privilege access management becoming Mm -hmm. mandatory. Um, Some of the other insurers are still catching up. (laughs) They're not quite there yet, (laughs) Uh, but they are starting to update their policies to start including more. Well, and the the uh, insurance
0: needs industry needs to understand that that's not a light switch. If you have a multi-billion-dollar industry, you can't just turn on your. Privileged access management that takes m- months to deploy and implement mm-hmm. and make sure it's fine tuned to make to make sure it's working to the best yep. capabilities of the of the program. So that's where the insurance industry is going to have to have mm-hmm. flexibility. To say, okay, this company is working on it. They are deploying it. They are making sure it's in place
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um, and have those be the course of action. That's a yep. positive realm.
1: So what 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 types of if an organization is going down the path you know one of the other things I mentioned you know as well is that you know most organizations uh, their their security team is is you know twenty percent of one of their IT resources <laughs> it's not, sometimes it's their part time job or just a a responsibility that they have uh, so I think for many it's it's important to get outside help it's important mm-hmm. to partner with with a provider who can provide. And more, you know, was it 24 uh, 7, you know, 365? Mm-hmm. And also, in, in many regions, sometimes you're located to headquarters, but you might not have uh, resources available to all locations. Right. Uh, so it's really important to make sure you've got availability there. Um, the next story is, is what types of resources does an organization need to get cyber insurance? You know, how, and roughly how long does it roughly take? Um, is, is it, you know, is it like a you know, couple of weeks? Is something you, you do self-assessments? Is it, do you need to involve multiple departments? What what type of uh, kind of resources would the company you expect?
0: So our um, Optiv in particular mm. has se- noticed that a lot of our clients are getting their renewal notices 120 days out, which gives them the <laughs> flexibility to utilize Optive to say, hey, help me with this mm. program, right? And um, mm. so 120 days is a long time because the insurance companies are now looking and saying, our questionnaires are no longer just 10 questions. It's mm-hmm. not a 30-day Portion. So 120 yep. days is where they're looking to say, you know what, that gives the clients the opportunity to look at their program and mm-hmm. understand where are their gaps? How can mm-hmm. we remediate these gaps and put the appropriate measures in place to mm-hmm. make them more insurable and, and and have that insurability concept? So I've seen, you know, some companies out at 120 days, others mm-hmm. are still at 45 but um, really, giving that strong code of here's your renewal date. That's a it highly. Must be done that's by a, that, a good time.
1: indication about what you're typically expecting. 120 days mm-hmm. is, you know, it's a long time. I've I've seen similar. I've seen you know, on the on the smaller side of things, you know, the the, the small companies doing self assessments. I've seen it take, you know, anywhere up to a month. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's very quick. Um, uh, but on the others, the larger side of things, I've seen very very deep risk assessments, uh, third party risk assessments, penetration mm-hmm. tests. Um and seen you know, even up to six months plus uh where it's taken to get uh, cyber insurance and 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 sometimes, you know, they they might some organizations might not, not even get it because insurers yeah. are becoming more selective. Um, or they're getting and- a
0: very small policy. So where where they may have gotten ten million in the past as a part of their coverage, Hmm. now the company's saying, okay, well now we can only do five, and that's where you now have to find a second insurer to do your tower policy and build back in additional policies to get you back up to that ten because you still have a business that's growing (laughs) and thriving, so you can't minimize your coverage. You still need your you know your larger excess policies. Absolutely. And you also you know you also have to understand that it's not just the the secure the maturity of the insurance company mm-hmm. it's also the the company that the insured po- company that's becoming the yep. client right because they could be a smaller one man shop and they're not going to take 120 days to renew their policy they're mm-hmm. going to be able to do that self assessment on the on the website and truly understand so it's the maturity of the insured client as well as the maturity of the insurance company
1: yeah i've seen you know a lot of organizations with many policies uh to cover mm-hmm. different things um and a lot of some some of the times it's due to the complexity of the business. Yeah, um, you get large pharmaceutical companies that might have something for here's our medical machines line of business, and therefore it's a different risk than things and like this. You know, Cybersecurity
0: policy covers that portion of our business because it's yeah. more
1: specific to hardware to the asset. Mm-hmm. It might be property uh, and
0: the operational technology correct, portion correct. of it mm-hmm. versus
1: the, the let's say the you know m- you know. Biomedical side of things, or you know, vaccine side, which is much more on the data side. Uh, therefore, you need or to have the you know, intellectual it's, it's,
0: property side, the
1: intellectual property, the algorithms and stuff, and mm-hmm. the math, uh, you know, that makes it happen. So, therefore, it's a very different type of policy as well. So, I've seen organisations that you know do have many different policies that they have mm-hmm. to look into, um, and sometimes many different teams that has to work on it. Uh, so, it can take a lot of a lot of time, resources. Um, what what are other things you're seeing? What's the trend that you're seeing in the industry? What's 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 looking forward in the future?
0: Um, some, of, as we mentioned previously, some of the trends we're seeing is the insurance industries are taking a much more control of the cyber vendors that they're working with, mm-hmm. and as you as you said earlier, they're purchasing them up, they're inquiring. Yeah. So. To me, that's a little odd because it could be a point, a conflict of interest of, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, we provide service and we provide insurance. (laughs) So, um, so if somebody can, you know, correct me on that one, I'm happy to have that conversation. But to me, it's a little, maybe a point of conflict. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I do see that as a trend that's coming. Mm -hmm. But I also, in the positive light, I am seeing the conversation between the insurance, the legal vendors and the insurance and the cyber vendors really coming into play and mm-hmm. understanding that that three-pronged approach is helping the clients out much more efficiently and
1: Absolutely.
0: creating a strong foundation in the front end helps them in the back end, especially with the new SEC regulations coming to play mm-hmm. for publicly traded companies in the U.S. That That's significant. That four-day, that call, that time frame is significant. So they're going to need a lot of measures in place and a lot of phone numbers on hand to make that come into play.
1: And do you want to have a practice? Because to, to meet that four day, you will not do it uh, without mm-hmm. practice, without simulation, without having those relationships and connections and the context, uh, it's, it's going to be difficult. I've seen organizations even trying to figure out after a month what the yeah. root cause of the incident was, um, let alone four days. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so that makes a massive difference, um, uh, absolutely. Um, I'm also saying, you know, the, the industry is definitely maturing. That's that's mm-hmm. the great thing. Um, they're starting to have much more tangible, quantifiable risk data, which yeah. is definitely a positive thing. And and they're starting to, to mature the policies. They're starting to understand about what really is cyber risk. Um, I think one of the important things that I you know share with the audience as well. One of the things I've found doing a lot of research in this area and just rele- recently released a, a, a very detailed report is that it's important that cyber insurance is not cyber security. Uh, no. <laughs> that's that's the confusion I, I've seen a lot. Thinking maybe I'll just get in cyber insurance because then I don't have to do these cyber security <laughs> like you know best practices. You won't
0: get insurance anymore <laughs> exactly. without putting cyber security in place.
1: <laughs> and it's important that it it is the financial safety net. You know, you mm-hmm. know cyber security is the brakes in the, in the car. It is the seatbelt. It is uh you know the the airbag. It is you know driving according to the rules and putting the best practices mm-hmm. and following the the right things in place. Uh, cyber insurance is a financial safety net to help you recover quickly. To help you have the right resources that you need to get back up and uh, to business. And when that car is no longer functional, you get a replacement car to keep going. That's it's it's that difference, and and they go together. It's it's a combination of both, which is important. You can't do one and without the other. And proactive
0: versus reactive: going to your Absolutely. medical doctor for your annual exam, keeping you healthy, and taking some <laughs> vitamins is a lot easier than the and cost effective than going to the emergency room to have that emergency fix. And Absolutely. so that's yeah. and again, it's all the power of the dollar, the power of mitigation, the power mm. of um, being proactive.
1: Absolutely, and, and one of the important things is this is where the CFO and the organization does really well. They understand mm-hmm. financial risk, so mm-hmm. sometimes you know they can become your best friend uh, when you're going down this path because they understand how to negotiate these types of policies, um, uh, and they understand about the financial mechanics of the organization as well. So definitely, you know, as organizations are going down this path, um, you know, the risk officer, uh, the CFO, um, the business owners. They help you provide that quantifiable data side of things and can help you, you know, build you know the 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 package that you need, the right package. Right. Plus also make sure you're able to, you know, understand the the you know the, the needs of the business and what type of insurance you need to cover it as well.
0: And it goes back to our previous conversation Ooh. of communication. Yep. Because the CFO knows their component and the IT knows their component and the private the DPO knows their component, if they're not communicating across everything. It's still going to be siloed and not going to work mm-hmm. efficiently. Whereas, as they communicate together, they're also communicating now with their outside stakeholders, and that's where a complete risk management program comes into play. Absolutely. And I think that's that communication is, you know, what makes the policies that much stronger.
1: And this is this is a great opportunity to break those silos down. Mm-hmm. It's a great opportunity to have those conversations uh, and 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 you know get to the point where you're all working together. You know. And realize that cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem; it's actually a mm-hmm. business cross-functional problem.
0: It's a business therefore risk.
1: Therefore, we need to work together in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think that's definitely you know a, a great one of the things is also I've seen is a lot of boards requiring the organizations that they represent because they might sit in multiple boards, and they're hearing it from other organizations. So you should be prepared that when your board meets the next time, that the question that the CEO or the question the board might have from the CISO or might have from you know the director you know of IT and security, they might have the questions about what is our situation with cyber insurance? Uh, do we have it? And and if we don't, what are we going to do about it? So be prepared that those conversations right. will will happen, um, and you want to already you know if you if if you haven't done the path, you want to make sure you're already starting to think about it. And start inquiring and, and and at least becoming knowledgeable about mm-hmm. what it means, what, what the terminology means. So at least when the when the CEO at the board comes to you for those for those <laughs> answers and they want the ans- they want answers. They don't want, you know, uh, and they let's don't say, want oh, all, no, the all
0: the fancy acronyms. They don't <laughs> yeah. want all the high level, you know, intricate knowledge, you know, yeah. language that you're like nobody else understands. They want to understand where you're coming from.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Dara, it's been fantastic having you on. This has been a really intriguing, exciting conversation. Great something conversation, that organizations thank you. Uh, definitely will have. Any any final path or, or direction you would, you know, have to the audience? What you know, what would be the first step? What would be the first thing that they should do? Um, either if they're coming up for renewal, maybe they'll already get a policy or they're going down the first time. What would be your 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 advice for the audience?
0: Uh, well read your declarations page <laughs> of your policy I mean they make it very simple so it's usually right in the front of the policy because that'll list everything that's covered um, and you know included in the policy because you want to make sure that if you've read you must have MFA for this part portion of your policy to work make sure you understand mm-hmm. what that means now that also o- opens up the opportunity for you to talk to your cyber vendor and say, mm-hmm we don't know what MFA truly means for our organization. Yep. Is, you know, is it just truly understanding having that second code on your phone or is yep. it, is that, you know, is there a token? Is there a, a you know, have no, and hmm. you know, understand where does this come into play? So having that understanding what your declarations page mm-hmm. says and understanding what it means for your organization, that's where your first step lies Absolutely. And then in a, in a cyber event, knowing the, the, Numbers to call, mm-hmm. the who to contact makes yeah. cuts down on that and, business and having, interruption. Claim. Having <laughs> it offline
1: as well and a backup <laughs> or printed sometimes. Because uh, I can tell you many times I've involved in instant Response where the actually instant Response plan is also encrypted with a ransomware, uh, so <laughs> always make sure that you do you do know it either in your head or you've got it uh, easy accessible uh, in an offline store. And one other thing I'd recommend: one client one me- time
0: actually had the whole <laughs> printed off in um, IR plan in the back of his car. He'd kept a binder in the back of his car. He's like. If it's we're if we're offline, I have to have a printed copy, and sure enough, his his trunk of the car policy can, came into play.
1: <laughs> that could be a very but I, I've seen it. You know those types of practices being a big savior. Um, mm-hmm. And one other thing I'd recommend for the audience as well is don't try to go it alone. Uh, you know, reach no. out and and, and and you know contact the likes of Optive and um and find out you know what help you can get. Uh, what mm. you can do to prepare because that makes a massive difference. Um, yeah. You know, Get get people in and, and the community and the network and, and and reach out who've done this before, uh, because it will definitely make, you know, make it much easier for you um, and right. they can already help you with some templates and some guidance. And don't guidance. hit the Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so it's been fantastic having you on. I've really enjoyed the conversation, really excited. Um, me too. Thank you for they, having me. It's been a pleasure. So for the audience, again, you know, this is the One Access Tonight podcast. We're really trying to bring you educational, knowledgeable thought leadership content. And I really do hope that you find this valuable and insightful. Uh, again, tune in every two weeks. Uh, we always have a great guest and exciting topics. And again, you know, stay safe, take care, and uh, look forward to hearing from you again. So take care. Thank you.
0: Bye-bye. this podcast is brought to you by delinea the number one privileged access management solution for enterprises with complex hybrid it environments you can get our free ebook privileged access management for dummies by visiting us at delinea.com pam for dummies that's delinea.com forward pam the number four dummies from all of us at delinea thanks for listening